coming down this Thursday night. And if you know anyone who took more than uh, four tickets and haven't turned up, well, Yahtzee can, I'm sure Yahtzee will deal with them on his blog. Um, welcome to Acme, everyone. Uh, thanks for coming down to see Jason Hill in conversation with Yahtzee Croshaw. Um, and I'm not going to say any more. Um, hand it straight over to Jason. Thanks, guys. Lost his bottle. Had some more, I'm sure. Thanks, Tim. Um, thanks for coming tonight, guys. Uh, my name's Jason Hill. My name's Yati Croshaw. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we're, we're just going to have a chat tonight and uh, we'll leave uh, plenty of time for questions at the end um, and we'll, uh, we'll keep... Uh, yeah, we're, we're going to leave that running in the background. So you don't have to look at us. Yeah, keep looking. Actually, look at us. We're, we're good looking. Um, for those who don't know much about you... Yes, uh, the many people who don't know much about me. Um, okay, so I do zero punctuation. That's this. It's a short video that comes out weekly on The Escapists. That's, um, as far as I know, one of the few actual game criticisms on the internet, as opposed to reviews. Um, I, where do we go from there? Uh, yeah, I got into what that. Else do you do? What else do I do? Hmm. Bugger all, really. <laughs> Sit around in my pants. <laughs> Take baths in, in money. Yeah. Hmm. You should try that. It's good for the complexion. <laughs> um, How'd you get started? Yeah, well, uh, I was bored, alone. I'd just lost my job and my girlfriend, feeling very bitter and twisted about the world. So um, I had the w a weird idea to try and make a video without any actual video-making equipment, using just still images and narration. And... Um, I just played a demo of The Darkness on PS3, so uh, that, that was my first subject matter, and so now I review games. Had I reviewed Ready, Steady, Cook, I guess I'd be reviewing TV now. <laughs> <laughs> and you also make your own. Yeah, I do a bit of that. That's not as widely known. Mm. I do um, design my own adventure games with um, Adventure Game Studio. I, also, I do a bit of work in the industry, uh, doing writing work for, an in, uh, for a professional studio in... Uh, in Brisbane. I got into that thanks to zero punctuation because uh, developers seem to like me. I don't know. I think we're on the same team, you know, because uh, pu publishers always pull in shit on them, like remove this, remove this, remove this. So when I talk to developers, they're always in agreement, even and especially when I've been ripping on their games. It's, al it's always like, um, you absolutely nailed that one. We said that to publishers, but they were all dicks. <laughs> <laughs> That was um, something we spoke about last time, wasn't it? When we had a, a session here at Acme a couple of months ago, which was uh, uh, chaotic, yeah. to say the least. But, um, yeah, it was something we talked about. Uh, that I mean, developers know their games inside out. Um, you're basically telling them to suck eggs when you, uh, when you criticise their game that they've been spending the last three, months, three years with. Mm. Um, just quickly, uh, background ab about me. Uh, my name's Jason Hill, as I said before. Um, uh spend most of my time writing for The Age and the City Morning Herald. Uh, I have a blog uh, on both sites called Screenplay, which has um, become popular. Um, and we've just started on Screenplay uh, doing something that I've called Your Turn, which, um, which basically gives the blog over to, uh, to the readers and they can uh, contribute their own blogs to the site, which is um, pretty unique and uh, amazing for a, a mainstream newspaper site. Um, it's going really well. I, you know, it was, uh, I was I was quite convinced that the screenplay community had a lot to uh, to offer, 
judge by, judging by the, the quality of the comments that we get on the site. Um, so it was, you know, it was a way of convincing uh, Fairfax that uh, the community had a lot to offer. So I'm hopeful that that can grow. Um, one one thing that we, we spoke about last time, um, Yati, was um, you know the process of, of reviewing games and, and, and putting zero punctuation together. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe just um, share a little about uh, how you go about reviewing a game or critiquing a game. Okay, well, uh, just going through the process. I buy a game usually from a retailer. I mean, I could probably get it from the studios if I if if I asked, but uh, I like to keep my head level, you know. I had to keep with the proles. <laughs> I'm one of you guys. Yeah, we're not going for it. Um, so I play the game, usually either to the finish or as far as I can stomach it. And just I, I usually play to the finish. It depends on the game. I've just been playing it alone in the dark, actually. And I didn't get that one to the finish because I was so sick of its bullshit. But yeah, you'll hear all about that next week, I guess. But you can just skip if you don't like it. You just it's too hard skip. Oh yeah, <laughs> like you buy a DVD and skip straight to the last chapter. <laughs> yeah, that's another retarded gameplay element in that thing. <laughs> but uh, sorry, off topic, back on topic. This is me boarding the topic train. This is me stalling because I've forgotten where I was. Um, How do you um, pick the game that you're going to look at each week? Generally, if, if it's either popular or it interests me. Because mm. um, now that not much really interesting stuff is coming out, I can, and I've been starting doing more retro stuff, stuff that I just want to bring exposure to, which, which is turned out pretty popular. But once, once I pick the game, we play it to the end, and I try to take a sort of, at the end of it, meta-analysis, you know? Were we having fun? And if not, I guess it's a bad game then. Because a lot of people will use things like graphics and a great storyline to uh, to um, excuse a game, but um, the the essence of it is, were you bored? If you were ever bored, they fail, and they should die. <laughs> um, so yeah, and then creating zero punctuation. I guess we start off. Um, I tend to structure my whole week around it. When I was really into the idea, I could knock knock one off in a day, but. Uh, now it's my job. I try and spread it out. So on Monday or Tuesday, I'll write the script out. I'll usually just uh, ma make a list of points and then, you know, cushion all the points with uh, swearing and stupid <laughs> analogies. And um, I, I, I'll devote Wednesday to Friday to putting all the images together because that's always the hardest part that I put off the longest because uh, an average review can, can have up to 200 images and you all have to individually made in Photoshop. And once that's done, recording the narration, stringing them together in Windows Movie Maker, that's uh, the easy part. I can do that Monday morning before I start the next review. Do you, going back to how you pick a game, I mean, do, you, do you see it as, uh, as your mission to educate people about, about games that um, you know, they might have uh, missed out on, you know, champion the cause of, of independent games? Or I like to think people are smart. I've seen a lot of evidence to the contrary. <laughs> But I remain hopeful. So I guess this is what we were talking about last time is the difference between a reviewer and a critic. That a reviewer is like telling someone about a game and recommending it, whereas a critic is um, discussing a game with people who've already played it. And I think that's what I want to do. I want people to look at the experiences they've had in new ways and assess if, um, if it was ultimately fulfilling. 
Because it's very easy right after you've seen something to go, yeah, it's awesome, because you're still on the adrenaline high from seeing, I don't know, the Incredible Hulk punching a brick with his cock. <laughs> <laughs> but you need, to, you need to let it simmer, and then you need to look at it again. You need to look at it about 10 years down from the line, what we're still remembering. <laughs> I didn't have, I wasn't going to give an example there. <laughs> you kind of gave the impression, assuming I would. I apologize. What do you think makes it a good reviewer or a good critic? No bias. Yeah. No bias. No um, pressure from, from a ruling entity. No, like, uh, consideration for if they're going to offend anyone. Have you ever felt um, pressure to, um, you know, say something, you know, write a more, pre more pr uh, positive review or, or perhaps not cover something bad? Well, when I was first doing um, Zero Punctuation, when I was first sorting out my contract with the Escapist, I, I said to them, do you want me to tone it down? I mean... I know you've got relationships with the developers. Do you want me to tone it down, swear a bit less, be a bit less offensive? And they replied with one word, no. <laughs> so I think that tells you about what the appeal is. And I think a lot of developers understand that. Yeah. Which is why I usually don't get contacted by publishers. Because publishers are the ones who, are, who like review scores. Bad reviews, they, they, they decide they have failed at life and fire everyone they, they've, uh, they feel like. But... Um, most developers, as I said, are good sports. Um, I was, I've been contacted by a few of them. The first time it happened was Peter Molyneux, when I did my review of Fable, which was the second one I ever did. And he was a really good sport. He was saying, you know, uh, you made some good points that I agree with, and I hope Fable 2 lives up to your standard. Which it won't. <laughs> <laughs> one day I, I did uh, receive some cash in the mail. I got some Do you money. know from who? Yeah, I got some money from Sony once. Did you ask for it? It was, it was. Was it a birthday present? It was two dollars fifty to buy a SingStar track. It was a bit of a gag, <laughs> but you know, it came with a SingStar press release. So was it actually cash or a check? It was cash. What? It was cash. So well, that I'd have the made first time and only time. I'd have made fun of them if it was a check, you know. <laughs> but um, it, it was bad timing though, because it was the week of the GameSpot saga. So ah, but yeah. it made it made a good intro for the column that I, you know, I got cash in the mail once. <laughs> um, but. It, you know, I, I, I tend to think I'm lucky at, at Fairfax that we're not relying on, on games advertising, but a lot of pu games publications are very reliant on, mm. uh, on, mm. on industry funding. Um, and it, it's, it seems that that's a problem because, uh, you know, then we have advertising reps exerting pressure and saying, you know, you, you must cover this positively, yeah. which I, is not a problem unless the editors cave and, and, and pump up. Uh, review scores or, or provide you know glowing previews based oh on a lavish yeah. trip that they had. They usually end up pumping up review scores because they just uh, refuse and giving them games if they don't get good <laughs> review scores from what I'm seeing. But um, and then the whole yeah, the uh, Gerstmann fiasco. Yeah. I think we should talk. Assuming pe some people don't know what that was, but that was the case where GameSpot fired one of their writers for giving a bad review to Kane and Lynch, which well wasn't exactly a bad review actually. It was f I think it was six out of ten, but. I played the game later, and he was generous, frankly. <laughs> but yeah, that's the kind of pressure that that makes makes an audience distrust a reviewer <laughs> and a critic. And I think I've been seeing a bit of that now that uh, zero punctuation has been getting more and more popular. More and more advertising has been coming onto the site, which we need to pay mo each other money <laughs> so we can eat. 
and survive. And, we, and everyone complains, saying, oh, it's selling out. You've been selling out from the day one. But, you know, you do need advertising. Mm. But uh, you shouldn't let it pressure you, is my position. I mean, someone that, like, I think Ninja Gaiden 2 was being advertised after my videos. I don't have much to say on the adverts. And um, I sort of want to review it now. I wasn't planning to. But I sort of want to just to prove, you know, just to prove. <laughs> I had more words in that sentence. But yeah, I mean, you were saying before, though, that, um, I mean, your influence is such that, you know, if you look at a game like Painkiller... Yeah, yeah. Imme immedi ...immediately sales lift. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll recount this story as well. But um, after I did the review of Painkiller, which was a 2004 game, which I really liked but didn't really sell very well, uh, standard first-person shooter sort of thing, and um, after I uploaded that review, very positive review... I was contacted by Gabe Newell at Valve, uh, telling me that uh, the Steam distribution system, that painkiller on Steam, its sales had tripled in the first four hours that the video was released. So yes, that's the extent of my power. <laughs> but I think it was the, with the case with that, it's what people were going like, um, I don't think I can really s lower sales by, by criticizing something. I don't think I've ever done that because when, I, when I'm positive about something, it's such like a novelty, apparently, <laughs> that people apparently have to check it out. What, what, I've, uh, what disappoints me still is that, uh, you know, I'll, I'll still get calls uh, from people in the industry saying, you know, we've got ec this event or this trip coming up. You know, what can you offer us if we're in exchange for a, a trip there? And, you know, obviously the answer from me, Fairfax policy dictates, you know, your ethics dictate that, you know, you don't promise them anything, you know, if you um, and, and then invariably the company will come back and, and say, oh, well, you know, this company's offer us X, Y and Z, you know, so we're, we're going to send them instead of you. So that's a bit frustrating. And I hope it's, it's just the sign of an immature industry that'll, and it'll change over time. Yeah. Uh, you know, but unfortunately you open up some mags, you know, um, and, and there will be this, this fawning uh, feature based on a trip or, or a fawning preview based on a trip. And, you know, it just does no credit to their readers. It, it's a sign of an industry making too much money, I think, it, 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 which can be a problem. Because mm -hmm. um, obviously the, the uh, film industry makes far too much money and uh, all the mainstream films tend to be a bit on the uh, mass market appeal side of things. And, um, Video games are going in the same sort of direction. It, it doesn't mean there aren't still people really uh, exploring games as, as an art form. It's just they're all hidden behind the huge, mm -hmm. the, the monolith that is the, the, main, the mainstream industry. It's a good segue to, to talk about, you know, I'm interested to hear uh, your thoughts on some of the most significant trends in the industry right now. Yeah. Uh, brown, I think, sums it up. <laughs> Because games these days go back about 20 years to the old uh, NES era, and um, games can be mad. Games can be anything. You could, you could be like, uh, you play uh, some sweet corn, and you're fighting Canada <laughs> on a dinosaur shooting guns that shoots buildings. <laughs> but these days, because graphics have really advanced to the point where you can create a sort of almost photorealistic 3D render, 
there's this, because you can create realistic graphics, there's this obligation to also be gritty and realistic with the games, and which leads to a lot of uh, games taking themselves too seriously, I think. I mean, the FPS market this, these sort of days, it's all stuff like Gears of War and Halo, all sort of, all sort of <coughs> grim and military and proud. And not so long ago, when first-person shooters were in sprites, you'd have things like Junior Nukem 3D and Shadow Warrior and Blood, colourful games, you know, things that could have a bit of fun with the concept. What about uh, another big trend, uh, motion controls? Now, obviously, yeah. uh, this, uh, Sony's experiments there have been a, a bit of a failure, uh, but oh, uh, Nintendo have, you have, you have done Have you heard well. this about Metal Gear Solid 4? <laughs> have you heard the only, the really one of the few things they use the six axis for in Metal Gear Solid 4? It's an Easter egg. If you shake the six axis while you're talking on the codec with a female character, her boobies. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Go home and check it out, <laughs> which I know you all will. <laughs> but yeah, the six axis is, is is crap. It doesn't it doesn't respond well at all. I tried the six axis tutorial on Grand Theft Auto Four, where you control the helicopter with it and went things <laughs> were building. But yeah, I guess uh, it's inevitable we move on to talking about the Wii now. Because hmm. I mean, the Wii it's excited a lot of people, particularly um, yeah. you know um, newcomers to gaming, um, but it. You know, lot, lots of dedicated gamers say that it, it doesn't have the precision necessary in a lot of games, and you mm. find it particularly with third-party titles that, you know, you're fighting against the controls. Yeah, I've, I've always been a bit sceptical about um, the Wii, because, yeah, it brings more people in, because, like, it uh, brings in the, the toy crowd. It's a toy now, but um, I don't think there are many games that use it well. I mean, pretty much all the games that use the Wii Remote, it's always either waggle it or flick it. And, the, and it was supposed to be a universal motion controller where using it in any way translates to an action in game. Like, it could be a gun or a, or a milking machine. <laughs> but there are so few games that use it well. Uh, off the top of my head, I guess um, WarioWare on the Wii, that's, that does it pretty well. Really, really explores, explores it. But, and um, maybe Twilight Princess? But otherwise, it, it, it's just very much a gimmick. And they always seem to put work the motion sensor in, in the most contrived, stupid way possible, completely unnecessarily. So do you think it has a future, or, or is, it, is it a it's novelty at the moment that will quickly I'm die? I have no idea, honestly, because um, even though all you're doing is waggling and shaking it, that in itself is kind of fun, you know? Hmm. It's a lot more than you do with normal controllers. Hmm. Uh, actually, into like, and the fact that you can point it at a screen and use it basically as a mouse cursor opens up all sorts of different games, yeah. game types. And, and although we consider a, a joypad really intuitive, I mean, it, it does usually have three sticks and yeah. half a dozen buttons. So First-person shooters have always been a hell of a lot more of an arse mm. with analog sticks than the, than the mouse. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see if next week uh, Microsoft uh, unveil their own Wii copy. That's, that's the tip. Apparently. Well, I have seen um, some of, some of uh, Sony's next-gen iToy applications, and it, it seems like it's here to stay. That, that kind of you know motion sensing. Because the iToy was doing it first, wasn't mm. it? Before the Wii even. I, I didn't play that myself. Was it fun? Was it fun? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well. <laughs> I mean, even more than Wii, um, iToy's got a kiddie stigma that's going to be difficult to shake, especially it's when they've, the got, a, that's they've the got a pom-com shaking iToy game coming up. 
Um, so, <laughs> yeah, wow. Um, but yeah, well, so actually, some actually of the demos I've seen for the PS3 iToy are pretty impressive. Well, the Pom Pom Shaker brings us into the uh, con to the uh, fact that um, the Wii is marketed uh, a little more towards women. Mm. Because um, I was talking about this earlier, and um, it's it seems game developers seem to think that women prefer games to be productive in some way. Like the main problem with it is that uh, it's a waste of time. You're just not really working towards anything. Obviously, not talking for most women in the crowd here. I presume you're more the uh, tomboyish gamer sort. <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, the Wii's been shown, the Wii and the DS to a lesser extent, has been bringing out stuff like Brain Training and uh, Wii Fit, obviously, which um, very simple kind of games, but with the illusion that they're good for you. Hmm. Well, I, I think the um, you know the changing demographics of the industry are fantastic. I mean, hmm. um, you know, it quite excites me when I hear um, like you know Jeff Brand from Bond University says that um, in a couple of years the average age of gamers and non-gamers will be the same in Australia, you know, about 42, and exactly the same proportions of male and female. But I think that's fantastic. But a lot of gamers, um, you know, see Wii Fit, um, you know, they see Wii Fit knock off GTA 4 on the top of the charts, or they hear stats like this, and or they see the success of brain training, and they recall in horror saying, you know, yeah, what's the happening the to my favourite pastime. Yeah, the mainstream are getting into it is what's happening. Mm. It's like selling out. <laughs> In uh, games like um, mass popular, mass appeal games like Wii Fit, things like um, The Sims, um, stuff that's um, marketed more as a as a, as a playset, I guess, as as a toy thing, everyone can uh, get something out of. Are always going to do better, and it's important to remember that uh, there's two sides to every industry. There's the stuff most people have, and there's the stuff that the hardcore people have, like. You can watch mainstream movies, you can watch independent movies. Independent movies, if you like them, th you'll almost invertly say they're a hell of a lot better than uh, mainstream movies. And the indie games are still there. Hmm. You just have to know where to look for them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, another uh, trend that must be close to your heart is um, digital distribution and, and yeah, sort of episodic yeah. content. What, I, where I, do you I think, think things are going? I right? think games need to embrace that, all games. I think all TV needs to embrace that because people download all their TV now anyway. They might as well. But um, I think all games are going to have to embrace digital distribution, especially PC games because they lose so much money on pirating. And digital distribution, um, providing a method as easy as that to get a game onto your computer is is why pirates pirate uh, pirate the games because they're too expensive and you have to go all the way to a shop getting off a big fat ass. <laughs> you were just playing Alone in the Dark, which tries to set itself up as episodic, even though it's in yeah, one that's, package. That's, that's awesome. Th Every time you let a work? save game, it goes previously on Alone in the Dark. <laughs> it runs through a montage of the cutscenes. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it. it it plays itself up as like, like a TV series or movie game. So like, um, at any time in the game, you can skip to the next chapter if you're having trouble. What raises alarm bells for me is that they advertise this on the back of the box. Because not only do they think that not playing the game is a point in its favor, <laughs> but they also had very little else to brag about. 
do you think there, there are sort of lessons you can learn from, you know, TV-style presentation like that? You know, is there advantages for, for Sony in, in releasing, you know, the Forbidden Sirens coming up in episodes? You know, do you think that's a, a, a positive thing? I think episodic gaming works in theory. Mm -hmm. And the theory is it works because it's cheaper and it's released more frequently. Mm. But a lot of developers have a problem with the release more frequently aspect. <laughs> Because Valve has this problem with its episodes one, two, and three, episode one, and then two years later, episode two. That's that's um, too long to maintain the uh, the cliffhanger, I guess. But yeah, if you do it right, episodic could be the way to go, and it goes so well with digital distribution, as was demonstrated by the Sam and Max episodes. Mm. I haven't played those myself because I'm kind of afraid to. Love the originals too much. Not so much, actually. Okay. I'm just. Um, I think the Sam Max humor tended, tended to be a bit um, overt <laughs> for me. So I'm afraid if I play those games, I'm not going to like them, and then everyone will ha hate me for it, and I'll lose all my indie cred. <laughs> <laughs> what what um, sort of industry issues do you think you're, you're most passionate about? Uh, are there any that spring to mind? Passionate. Passion. Oh, yes, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, industry... Issues. Well, that's a kind of a broad term, isn't it? Oh, that's I the entire thing. That's the entire thing we're talking about, isn't it? Today, uh, some people on uh, screenplay are getting pretty uh, passionate about uh, classification because uh, overnight it was announced that, that Fallout Three won't be released in this country. Oh yeah. Well, uh, well, it's been refused classification, which means a very different thing. Fallout Three. I think the problem is drug use mm. because you inject yourself with morphine a lot in it. So if, if they just change, I think all they're going to have to do is change the name to something like Health or Magic Healing Fairy Dust, which go <laughs> goes into your veins and spreads sunshine and rainbows through your, through your body. But, um, yeah, the absence of an R18 certification has been a bit of a problem for the, uh, for the Australian games industry because um, we do tend to get things cut down a bit because of that. I mean, it's not so um, important from my point of view, as from a critical perspective, because <laughs> it's a hard it's a hard position to defend, I guess. I mean, when GTA 4 had some of its prostitution, uh, its prostitute encounters toned down a little bit graphically, it was a bit hard for someone to stand up and say, "I want realistic prostitutes in my <laughs> game. I want to see them down on their knees." I'll stop there. <laughs> And uh, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of a lot of the games that we have missed out on have been total rubbish. Like you know, mm. I wasn't going to take to the streets and campaign over BMX Triple X not not getting released here no. or, or Leisure Suit Larry. Was Manhunt Two released? I haven't it, seen it, it anywhere. Manhunt Two hasn't been released. Manhunt was released for and sold really well for a year, and then the uh, and Attorney then General then the right decided. Found out. Ooh. <laughs> so yeah, you know, twenty thousand copies later, suddenly it was banned. Um, but you know. Uh, from my point of view, I, you know, I'm passionate about it because I want to see kids protected. Because it, it seems like a, a, a lot of games are, are shoehorned into inappropriate category in Australia, and then and then we have the ridiculous situation where, um, you know, games like Fallout 3 are, are banned when it seems that a lot worse is is pushed into MA. Well, they do bring out the excuse of uh, defending the children a lot, but kids love that shit, you know. <laughs> I haven't known a kid who wouldn't be all over shooting cops and hiring prostitutes. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the main problem is that um, 
people still regard games as a kiddie thing and um, a lot of people are just looking for excuses because whenever there's new media the older generations and the right wing are always going to oppose it the conservative mindset because it's fear it's fear because when you when you're older and you see the young people embrace new things it reminds you that you're losing control of the world that was once yours that's my theory well, you're an old gentleman. You can <laughs> probably sympathise. Thanks. You're older than most people. Yeah, I don't know. Well, Anyone over 30? Thanks. Anyone over 40? Got a couple. 50? <laughs> uh, no one to be friends with you, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other, the other reason why I'm passionate about classification is because... Uh, you know, I want I want recognition that, that games are as important culturally as a yeah. cultural medium yeah. as, as films, and, and currently we're not getting that respect. Um, and you know, so I, I think legitimacy of the medium as a whole and the, of the industry is really important. I, I say give it time. Hmm. I give it time because old people eventually die, <laughs> <laughs> and and the younger people pass on their values to the next generation. I mean, the old people have opposed everything. They opposed rock and roll, they opposed comic books, go back far enough, they opposed movies, novels, theatre. It's, it's all a matter of time for something to be embraced. Mm -hmm. well, I definitely see that, um, that you know, the, the two main battles in Australia that are going on at the moment, the classification battle and the, and the games developers themselves are also fighting for the same sort of funding and tax breaks that uh, film industry enjoys. Queensland's you know, been very good about that. Yeah. The Queensland government has injected a lot of money into the local <laughs> industry. Brisbane's like, I think it's the centre of game development in Australia right now. Mm -hmm. well, I, I, yeah, I'm just, uh, I, I think they're the same battle. You know, they're, they're a battle, it's a battle over legitimacy and recognition of the industry. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah I think games uh, are art. Games need to be recognised as that. And they're a very significant development in art because it's an art that the uh, viewer interacts with as an essential part of it. And it's interesting to see games play with that, it, like the relationship between player and protagonist, because the best kind of games really draw you in. They immerse you. You're, um, you're in there. And it's, it's, it's interesting to see them experiment, like something like Bioshock, which uh, kind of subverts the whole linear storytelling with the big twist at the end, which I won't spoil. And if no one else could, if would you kindly? Um, <laughs> I was expecting more people to be into that. <laughs> yeah, because... There's a lot of things you can do with that sort of thing. I especially think horror. There's been no better medium for telling a horror story than game because um, nothing else draws the player so closely in. You, um, you, you mentioned you know, games as art. Um, you obviously don't feel that all games are art, though. Well, I think I look at it the same as movies. You've got your, you got your mainstream movies, which are just put out to entertain. You know, have a bit of a laugh, go down with your mates, eat some popcorn, watch uh, Bruce Willis wreck shit up. And, and there's the independent movies which are actually intelligent and make you think and bring out all the emotional responses that, that you want out of, some, out of experience, exposing yourself to art. Mm -hmm. And video games are the same way. There's, there's always been the mainstream stuff, your Gears of War, your Halo, or just a bit of a shoot around. And um, there's always going to be the uh, less uh, regarded experimental artistic stuff. Mm -hmm. Your Bioshock, your uh, Shadow of the Colossus, your... Uh, 
shadow of the closet. <laughs> I'll, I'll think of more examples later. Well, that's the thing. When the games industry doesn't do itself a lot of favours in a lot of ways in, in, in you know, the types of games that it regularly churns out. Um, you know, Sony do deserve some kudos for, for making Eco and, and making Shadow of the Colossus. Mm. Games that, that probably cost them money, that didn't make money, but, um, you know, proved that well, PlayStation 2 was capable of, of, you know, producing art and... Something with, uh, special. Made in Japan, which obviously has a much uh, broader games industry, I'd say, because uh, it's much more embraced over there. And, like, everyone plays them. And uh, yeah, they do some weird stuff, a lot of stuff you don't uh, see over here. Sorry, I'm having flashbacks. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing that uh, I'm passionate about, and we've been running a bit of a, a campaign on screenplay about, is, is game prices in Australia. Oh yeah, we we we're in on, we're in that, aren't we? <laughs> we know what we're talking about. So yeah, it's, I mean, it's it's ridiculous. You can empathise, e even though uh, I, I a company pays for all my games. Picks yeah. up your tab, yeah. Yes. Well, I still have to um, have that absence of money in my account <laughs> until the monthly invoice arrives. One of you guys. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's stupid. Like a game in Australia, 120 bucks. US, because and the US dollar is pretty much the same as the Australian dollar now. Still down at 60 bucks. Yeah, exactly. Backwards whistle. <laughs> <laughs> it's just it, and even they've even been pressed. The the Australian retailers have even been pressuring digital distri distributors to like a charge extra to the users who say they're in Australia. So there's an obvious workaround there, but um, people obviously don't think of that at the time. It's so, it's so hard to defend. It's impossible to defend. I'm not gonna try, I'm gonna defend it, it's stupid. Do you wanna defend it? <laughs> no. Oh, well, great debate there. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've been pushing for answers, but, uh, you know, the, the industry just shrugs its shoulders and says, you know, we have to buy our games from Europe and this is what it costs and, we, you know, we're charging the same as Europe. Yeah. But, you know, when, when an individual can go and import a game for half the price... Um, well, exactly, back to piracy, yeah. I mean, I went back to England for a few weeks to, uh, and picked up a few things. I picked up, like, um, Fahrenheit at the time it came out for something like 15 quid. That's 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 like just over thirty dollars. Mm -hmm. Not a great game. <laughs> it's okay if you're into plots that go completely mad. <laughs> Speaking about like passion, what about um, games and uh, and emotion? Like, um, you know, do do you think that games should should and do you think they can provoke strong emotions in people? Do you think they should? I've, I think some of the most, I think one of the strongest emotional reactions I've had to any form of media was when I played Silent Hill 2. <laughs> it, I don't know, there's something about it. Some people don't like it. It, it takes, it, you have to let it pull you in, I guess. But some, something about the atmosphere, and I, I originally played it because I'd heard a lot of things about this interesting pyramid head character that everyone seemed to talk about on the internet. But once I got in, to it, I was, um, I, I really got into the characters, and I really got into the atmosphere, and um, genuinely scared at times. At the end, I was, I was sad. I, I felt passionate about the endings. People, like, there were like five different endings, and one of them was like a really sad one, and I said, that's the canon ending. 
How about uh, you, know, you recently reviewed uh, Metal Gear Solid 4? Did that provoke oh. an emotional response? Is, board, is boredom an emotional response? <laughs> oh, actually, there are characters I sympathise with in Metal Gear Solid in the series and that I kind of like to, like to see. Like, I've got a fondness for Otakum. It's really his Pred- story, isn't it? It's not about Snake, it's about him. He, well, he gets laid. <laughs> good, good on you. <laughs> he can do it so can we <laughs> but it, the problem with Metal Gear Solid 4 is there's no editing and an important part of good writing is good editing because this is another thing I like about the Silent Hill series that the cutscenes are all very short very succinct dialogue and a lot of the stuff you have to infer but Metal Gear Solid 4 is all about like in Metal Gear Solid 2, one of the characters is called Fat Man, and it's a reference to the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombings because one of the bombs was, was codenamed Fat Man. And you play the game, you think, oh, he's called Fat Man, that's kind of clever. And later on, a character goes, did you know Fat Man was the name of a bomb that hit Nagasaki? I go, yes. And then they'll talk about the issues that raises. When, again, this is something that should be discussed when you're not trying to blow heads off terrorists, you know? <laughs> Certainly, um, games have a you know increasingly big um, impact on, on you know Australia and the world's wider culture, um, and, and games culture is particularly strong on the internet. And you're a big part of that now. Like, um, what do you what do you feel about how do you feel about being such a big part of, of games culture now? Is that uh, is that intimidating when you're posting your zero punctuation every week? It was intimidating when I cared what people thought. <laughs> but, um, I don't know, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like, like I'm a big part of the industry, you know? Because I guess that comes from just working out of your bedroom. But, um, I, don't, I don't know. What I mean, do you, what appara- do you apparently I'm popular. <laughs> and uh, I just kind of stumbled into that. Without, without, with no real intention to be so influential. And I guess it hasn't sunk in yet. I told myself it will have sunk in at the point when I utter the words, do you know who I am? <laughs> and on that day, I will put a gun between my teeth. What, what do you think of, of your average fan? I mean, it, it seems like there might be a bit of conflict there sometimes. Just, just out of interest, has anyone here actually sent me an email? That guy. <laughs> you know what? I didn't read it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't read much of it. I can't. I haven't got the time, and uh, I can't really uh, spend much time for applying to them. And I prefer to take things from meta-analysis rather than in- individuals. So I regard large trends. Because when you put something on the internet, anyone will tell you that it's good. You can't actually listen to their words. You've got to, you've got to see how many people go to your thing. And once you've got the numbers, that tells you if you're good or not. Fans scare me. <laughs> they especially scared me last time I was here. <laughs> they were banging on glass and singing at me, and I felt, <laughs> I felt ashamed. <laughs> well, it, last time, it, it did seem that that some of the people that turned up were the exact type of people that you so mercilessly lampoon <laughs> quite often. 
Um, yeah. Which, you know, I, I kind of found that whenever you listen to, the, to really bad AM talkback radio, you get that kind of person who will ring up knowing that uh, they're going to be abused. They'll come out with something ridiculous that they know the host won't agree with. It's a bit like S&M. They want to be <laughs> <coughs> So like an internet troll, basically. Yeah, I've noticed there tends to be like a very vocal um, backlash on like forums and stuff because um, people tend to go against things when they get really popular. When things are kind of not so popular on the internet, everyone will say, everyone who like gets into it will, will uh, say, oh, it's great, that's really good, pat on the back. I mean, go on DeviantArt, there's a lot of examples of that. No matter, how, no matter how dreadful or abysmal the work you'll put on, someone will tell you it's a meaningful contribution to society. <laughs> I think you only know that you're getting around when people start telling you it's shit. Because if they hate you, they have passion for you same kind of passion that someone might love you with. You'd have the hottest sex in the world with people who hate you. <laughs> Not that I think of that. <laughs> Not that I was thinking that when I did that, that mailbag review. <laughs> um, Marcus is doing a, a TV show about you know, the, the impact of, of art on culture. Um, you know, what do you think about the impact of games culture on, on wider popular culture? Do you think um, it it does tend to get around sometimes? I mean, uh, take Portal as example. The cake is a lie. <laughs> Everyone who made a noise then failed the test. <laughs> <laughs> Nerds have this habit of ruining things. <laughs> This happened with Monty Python, the Holy Grail, and it's happening with Portal. People, it spreads around. It takes on the meme quality, the Chuck Norris joke. <laughs> yeah, hearing, hearing some groans there. Obviously posters on the Something Awful forums. And, you, I mean, you had a go at web comics last, last yes, week. Yes, I what, did. What did you enjoy that? that? Oh, no comics in particular. <laughs> I, I do get frustrated when people because I think culture needs to explore feeling, it needs to explore emotional feeling and there's something very cynical about gaming webcomics because most of the ones on the internet, they see Penny Arcade who are a good example of what they do and try to imitate that to be successful without really understanding why they, they do that I've seen a lot of stuff like people imitating zero punctuation on YouTube as well, right down to the same shade of yellow who think that if they just swear a lot and be nasty to a game, then um, that's all there is to it. But I, I think it's important, when culture is spreading around, to examine the internal workings, like um, the impact of it, what it's, what it's actually trying to do. And I think when the culture is uh, spreading around to the point where imitate, imitators pop up like that, it's not necessarily a good thing. Do you think that um, you know something like the um, Penny Arcade event that they're having year, each year now? They asked me to do the keynote on that. Yeah. Do you think the size I'm of that event kind of kind of says anything about uh, about uh, the future of games, or or is it just that um, you know the the most passionate games fans will, will turn up for anything? 
I guess it's part of the collective viewing experience. Every, everyone's, everyone can play these games. And um, there's a lot of overlap with gamers in the internet. I guess it's the same sort of mindset. People want to be entertained with, like, they want to be part of their own stories. They want, they want exposure to these, to something bigger than themselves. And the internet, and they, and they want choice, I guess, is important. They want choice. They want to choose where to go in a game rather than just uh, sit down in front of a in front of a film and rot. But the yes, there's a lot of crossover on the internet because the internet is like a huge amount of information that you can decide for yourself what you want to expose yourself to. What was the question? <laughs> <laughs> just. Uh, you know whether whether events like uh, Penny Arcade Expo show that um, you know gaming is hitting the mainstream, oh, yeah, is, yeah, yeah. is becoming yeah, yeah. a big deal, or or whether it's just that you know the the, the, the niche is 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 so loud and vocal and enthusiastic. It's hard to tell. I mean, a lot of people play games. I think the majority of of uh, people between eighteen and thirty five have played games, and most children are growing up on them. But it's something that doesn't get talked about much because they tend to be spread around. Everyone who like, likes things on games, everyone who likes things on the internet, there's usually a much larger audience than films and TV, but they're all so spread out, they can't really get together except on the internet. And when you get something like the Penny Arcade Expo, people deliberately get together, that illustrates how many there are. Mm -hmm. At the moment, game culture is a very underground thing. But as I said, yeah, as more old people die, <laughs> it'll rise closer and closer to the surface. So just... Just giving it time, I guess. Mm -hmm. and of course, there are. There's always buffs in a, in a particular genre. There's movie buffs, or there's there's music buffs, or yeah, the every, most yeah, everyone, hardcore fans. Everyone's a nerd to some extent. But everyone watches films. Or everyone listens to music. So we'll yeah. get to the stage where everyone plays games. I think so. Gossip magazines. They could drive game developers to go out and Shut up, audience. <laughs> 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 we watching in awed silence. <laughs> It actually does raise a point, though. I mean, there, are there are there people in the industry who you we'll win this time? <laughs> <laughs> you know, are there, are there, you know, perhaps not for their coke snorting habits, but are there, are there people that, that you admire in the industry for their work? I admire the Penny Arcade guy. Mm -hmm. I've met I met uh, uh, Jerry Holkins once. Really nice guy. Really passionate about gaming. I felt felt he was very like minded, and. Of course, uh, Valve flew me over, and I don't think there's ever been a Valve game I didn't like. I have a huge amount of respect for their game design philosophy because they're they're like the biggest independent game developer in the world. Yeah. They got they don't answer to any publishers. They make 99% profit because they dig digitally distribute all their games on their own digital distribution method, so they can do whatever they want, and it's usually good because they only hire really talented people. And um, they test it obsessively at every stage of gameplay. Mm. And it just produces amazingly good stuff. So I have a lot of respect for those, uh, for those, for those guys as developers. Do you uh, worship at the altar of Miyamoto like a lot of people in the industry do? I think it's, it's very easy to latch on to like, um, a name and give them a reputation. Mm -hmm. But um, there's a lot of pressure to act on that reputation. I think it's better to like um, admire a company and its policies than latch onto a person. I mean, I've, I've never, I've always disagreed with Nintendo's policy of constantly remaking all their old properties again and again onto each new console property. 
the I mean, the thing about me, Moso, though, you know, I've interviewed him a few times at, at various E3s, and um, you know, he he is actually like a little kid, you know, who's <laughs> jumping around and like he's so passionate about the games that he produces. So I, you know, that's yeah. something I I definitely admire in well, him. Yeah. Like he he makes the he does make the games you that he wants to passion. make. I admire the passion. I admire the passion in Peter Molyneux. That doesn't mean I have to like his game. Yeah. <laughs> I saw his, his talk at uh, Game Developers Conference and he was talking about Fable 2 and he seems really earnest. Mm. But uh, everything he was talking about just raised a lot of questions in my head. Like he was talking about Fable 2 and he was talking about um, you get a family in Fable 2. You, can, you marry someone and uh, they have children and you can come back to their house and, and you give them money for upkeep. And I was wondering, so where's the adventure come into this? I mean... Um, Paying child support? That wasn't what I imagined <laughs> when I went into this. I think Peter Molyneux is someone who, like, really passionate about creating these elaborate new jumps in, uh, like, uh, game technology and mm -hmm. gameplay at the sacrifice of just making it fun at its core. But, yeah, I guess you can respect the passion he goes into it with that. Yeah. I guess he just needs people to like whack him over the head a couple of times <laughs> during production. What What about uh, Will Wright? I mean, he, he's a character who's like stereotypical nerd. Seems to be quite, you know, uncomfortable in social situations. You know, is passionate about weird things like you know, s collecting space junk and uh, and yet yet he's well, made. He does that personally. <laughs> you know, he's, he's made. The, you know the game that has you know captured the the biggest pc market that there is you know a hundred thousand talking uh, about the sims yeah a hundred million copies of the sims um how do you how do you think he fits in in the parthenon of of game gods he's he's one of the few uh personalities who do seem to live up to their reputation a lot because um first he created sim city instant classic now he's created the sims hugely popular now he's creating Spore which is doing amazingly well well even before it's even released <laughs> getting a lot of uh, comments from over there <laughs> Well, maybe you put dick mo your dick monster all <laughs> over the internet. <laughs> oh, he's got four dick monsters. <laughs> Anyone want to beat that? Anyone can beat five. We've got five. Anyone beat five? <laughs> Good call. Yeah, you're a better man than these guys. <laughs> well, one of the thing exciting parts of a Spore is, you know, obviously uh, the user-generated content. Mm. Uh, it might be a, a, a it's good idea. It's amazingly adaptable mm. engine as well for creating creatures. You can create all sorts of weird stuff. Mm. I <laughs> <laughs> yes, you can create penis monsters. <laughs> I actually, when I when I got my hands on the creature creator, I built the like zero punctuation imp, and it was pretty cool. Mm -hmm. I, I love the way like um, it like arbitrarily animates it based on a, based on how you arrange its limbs, mm. and it moved in exactly the way I imagined it to move. Just sort of going... <laughs> <laughs> so do you think it's an important trend to, to you know, empower, um, you know, games players as games designers to give them the freedom to, to be creative? I think it's um, a dangerous area. Because uh, when you give uh, 
a game a ten like the capacity to be creative with the game you've given them there's a tendency to um let it overpower the actual gameplay because a lot of games now have like um character creation models of the style where you can tweak the uh, shape of your character's face as much as you can and i've been known to spend like two hours on that and half an hour on the actual game <laughs> I think it's important to keep the concept of fun central. And one of my concerns about Spore is it seems like it's just trying to impress us with huge amounts of stuff. And I'm not too clear on where the gameplay comes into it. You're like, you start off as a species and it evolves into a creature and becomes a civilization. I'm still unclear on what the player's role in all this is. Um, what a there's some of the other things that you think are, are going to be important in the, you know, as the future of gaming. I think at some points. point games are going to be virtual reality because games right from the beginning have always been, uh, been moving towards making the experience more realistic. You don't, you don't mean wearing the stupid hat and... I'm thinking like totally immersive video gaming. Yeah. I mean, uh, not so much the stupid, like have strapping two TV screens to your face and... Um, Walking around going like a thunderbird, <laughs> but if if they create you know the way to do the Matrix where they jack straight into your nerve system, the nervous system, I think the games industry that's like that's like the pinnacle. That's like the top of the Sims career track for the games industry. It, it's got to be social though, doesn't it? If, if the Wii's taught us anything over the last couple of years, it's that gaming is. It, at its best, a, a social experience. So it doesn't, it shouldn't be a solitary experience. I would, I would argue with the point that it's always a, a social experience. I think um, some people go into it for a social experience, and uh, some people go into it to be the heroes of their own stories. You know, mm -hmm. um, people who play like the indie uh, single-player games, like Shadow of the Colossus, and into that sort of thing. It doesn't mean they, they can't also be some water cooler talk with their friends about it later, but. Um, some people prefer to keep to themselves. Like I've known people who play MMORPGs and uh, never group with anyone. And I'm like, well, why don't you just play a single player RPG? And they're like, um, because they want to be alone where people can see. <laughs> and I think that's the, that's the essence of it. That's that, um, people, people want to be impressive. People want to have an audience. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you touch on something important there that that peop everyone does want to be the hero. Yeah. You know, I, I remember um, talking to to some developers about about Microsoft's idea of of these you know grand uh, real time strategy games where you know one person would be the commander and all these yeah. grunts would be actual people. I heard this was an initial idea for Team Fortress too, but. Uh, but who wants to be a grunt getting bossed around by some other idiot? Well, exactly. So I mean, everyone does their own thing and it's chaos. I mean, the logical conclusion of what most people might think is the logical conclusion to multiplayer gaming is like some kind of massive war where <laughs> you can, whatever kind of gameplay you like, that will become incorporated in there somewhere. Like if you like just a standard first-person shooter, you can be on the infantry. Mm -hmm. If you like stealth... You can be like a spy infiltrating at the base. If you fly, if you like flying planes, you can fly planes. If you like driving games, you can yeah, race against the opposing jeeps in a little track <laughs> off to the side somewhere. And I guess people who like real-time strategy could be up there commanding it. But yeah, 
Oh, is it? Is there? <laughs> Does it work? Well, the fact that I've never heard of it and kind of indicates that it doesn't. <laughs> what about, um, you know, do you think the, the future of gaming is, is more physical control systems or uh, voice recognition or... Um, yeah, um, it's, it's hard to support. S- it's hard to say. Some some people play games because uh, they don't want to make do a lot of physical exercise, <laughs> or they're trying to avoid physical exercise. <laughs> so I'm not convinced that uh, that's the way it'll go completely. I just think um, it's going to keep, it's going to keep getting more popular, mm. and uh, if at some point someone creates the Matrix, it'll be all over that as well. Yeah. But it uh, will be because then we'll then we'll all be destroyed. <laughs> but it will be always online and and always customizable and always yeah. I think we're too ingrained on in, on the like the internet. As I said, has blurred too much with gaming culture to for online stuff to be separated from games. There's always going to be the single player experiences the same way there's going to be the little indie art films. But. Um, more people realise they play games and realise the people around them play games, the more communal it will be. Yep. And, and do you expect, uh, you know, uh, in the future, one universal console rather than the splintered market that we've got now, or does that um, stifle innovation too much? Well, you're talking monopoly, so uh, hopefully not. It'd be, uh, you know, I can imagine that uh, companies like EA and, and Activision, and <coughs> you know, Microsoft increasingly pushing for that kind of a model though because mm. uh, you know the increasing cost of, well, of software if development if it was like DVD players like um, there's millions of different kinds of DVD players but they all play the same kind of DVDs so maybe I guess that's something that could, that could happen like some kind of it's a PC then well yes mm. <laughs> well maybe this will extend to consoles as well someday maybe someday there'll be some universal format for console games yeah and just all sorts of different consoles manufactured by different uh, companies. But it would certainly be the most convenient way. It's just uh, because all the different businesses are in, like, uh, rivals against each other, uh, it's less likely to happen. Let's have some um, questions. Yeah, let's go to the questions portion. To to have their say. Do we have a roving mic? Okay. Anyone? Uh... Gentleman in the front, one on the back, a couple of the back. Should we start here? No, start here, yeah. Thank you. Uh, for um, obviously, people consistently find what you write witty and interesting. Have you ever thought about writing something like a feature film? Because that would be awesome. <laughs> I, I haven't thought about feature films. That's a, that's a curious one. I think I've tried to write virtually everything at some point in the past, especially uh, mainly novels and stuff. But I tried writing like TV scripts at a time. I sent one off to the BBC once, and they didn't want to know. <laughs> didn't didn't uh, a bit far fetched ideas for them, I guess. They they wanted to make little uh, I don't know, an old lady is a detective in the Cotswolds, sort of thing. But the, obviously, the success of Zero Punctuation might open doors like that. Actually, yeah, it has. Um, I've been uh, looking into the possibility of TV work, actually, like presenting a game-related TV show, but I'm not sure where that's going to go. I've been working on my like uh, TV phase. And uh, I've actually been approached by a publishing house about writing a book on uh, like my opinions on the gaming industry, a trade book, as they say. I really want to write 
I want to write novels at some point. I want to write at least one novel in my life and get it published. But uh, it's a good way to start. Not films, though. Another question? Uh, I think gentleman at the back was the first one, but uh, okay. <laughs> Is that on? I don't think it's on. Uh, there you go. Um, yes, with respect to what you were saying before about uh, the DVD player concept for game consoles, um, <coughs> when there's like three different consoles that all do different things for different sort of uh, gaming genre populist type things, would you rather have that than just a universal player, do you think? It depends what the universal player incorporated, I guess. I mean, uh, obviously with the current console generation, uh, it's, it, there's very much a feeling of... Uh, each console is good for its own kind of things. Like uh, the Wii is good, better better with kids, better with um, better with a more colourful, friendly sort of uh, a toy-like appearance. PS3 is more for your hardcore gaming crowd. 360 is more for a casual run gun kind of gamer. I don't know, but if if there was a multi-platform uh, uh, console, presumably it would also incorporate all the developers for all the platforms, and they'd they'd automatically be every everything you possibly want in a game. If they were all, uh, you're not looking convinced. <laughs> well, it's just that that's one of the problems PlayStation 3 has at the moment. It's so good and expensive because it does just about absolutely bloody everything, and that's why it's been restricted to the hardcore gamer market, whereas the Wii's been so popular because it is so cheap, and you know, even old people, the baby boomers, are picking it up because it's so cheap and easy to use. Mm, but we'll see what everyone's playing a little way down the line. And I mean, the Wii's been popular because uh, of the peripheral. You know, I, I think there's a interesting idea floated at the moment is that uh, perhaps in the future the innovation might come from peripherals rather than from the box itself. Because um, the bo you know, you compare a PS3 and an Xbox 360, the box itself very similar, but we equate them different personalities based on the controller and based on the software that runs on it. So, uh, and the Wii is much the same, you know, is it, it's two GameCube stuck together, it's the peripheral that makes a difference. Uh, that's what gives it its personality. So, you know, that, that could be a way, uh, the way forward. So consoles have always been a very good way of, like, uh, segregating gamers as well. <laughs> There's always, there always been a lot of fanboy camps being drawn up. So I don't know if people would reject a single console because they like being part of something, you know? Like barracking for a team. Yeah, part of a fraternity. Mm. I don't know. I guess you'd have to put it into practice. Another one up the back? Yeah, that guy at the back had not hand up for the last three questions. So I guess we'd better get him out of the way. Um, at the start, you were saying that you were contacted by a studio in Brisbane um, to do some writing work. Yeah. Um, is there anything that you can say about that if you've been, um, if you're actually doing something, if you can actually talk about the project that you're going to be working on? you are working no. on something? No, no. I, <laughs> I signed a non-disclosure agreement. I can't say anything. I can say it's pandemic. That's about it. Um, Is it fun? Hmm? You enjoy it? I like to think it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, am I having fun? <laughs> yeah, it's good. I mean, um, it's good to have social contacts in a work environment. Cause I, go, I go insane at home. <laughs> sitting around in my pants <laughs> so a lot of people probably wouldn't sympathise but actually being able to go into an office and strike up a conversation with any with like guy next to you at any time 
I kind of miss those days. Mm. That's what I miss about the days of office temping. That's the only thing I miss. <laughs> 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 office temping. You haven't got your mic anymore. I can't hear you. <laughs> okay. Um, I think we'll give the microphone to whoever, you know, seems the most enthusiastic. <laughs> oh, lady there. <laughs> Who was the enthusiastic one? Uh, I guess that guy. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that strikes me um, when I saw how young you are, you're such a cynical bastard for your age. And, uh, I get that a lot. <laughs> no, it's awesome. I'm, and, um, I'm 25. A lot of people think I'm 26. <laughs> <laughs> when, you, when you're writing, like when you, you have the freedom just to um, develop just for an animation or something where you're not sort of, you don't have that peer review or peer pressure and you're sort of, you can kind of let rip without the fear of the consequences. Like, now that you're working in a game dev environment, do you find that you're either um, censoring yourself or you're finding that uh, the work you're doing is sort of getting homogenised a bit as a result of uh, being in a collaborative environment? I don't think anyone's tried to, like, um, force me to change. And I think as time's gone by, I might have been softening up a bit on games because I think... Early on, I was going more for shock value. And I was, I was doing what I've been accused of a lot, of deliberately finding fault, just so I can rag on it and like um, overplay how bad the game is. Lately, I find I can include a lot of reviews saying, but it's all right if you're into that kind of thing. So now that I've got a more of a developer mindset, I guess, I got a more, I guess I'm more sympathetic for what people are trying to do with games. There's probably misunderstanding with you too from a lot of people that um, you know they they think you're a hater. Yeah, but but get, you're get, actually very very passionate about the medium. Or I mean, you wouldn't create your own games unless you were passionate well, about no. the medium. I mean, people say, "Oh, he just he's just a guy who hates games," but you know, I love games. That's why I want them to improve yeah. and reach my standards. I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I've been playing Alone in the Dark to review for next week, and um, I'm kind of rough on it. But what frustrates me most about it is that there's a lot of wa so much wasted potential in the game. Because it's got amazingly good fire physics, and it's got quite a few really good ideas. I mean, this is a game that, uh, that um, ties a button to close your eyes. You have a button for closing your eyes. And it's, it's actually used amazingly well as a gameplay element. It's just that it's so lacking in polish and. It's got so pulls so much bullshit. It's it's just very frustrating when it, there's glimpses of brilliance buried in shit. <laughs> Another question? <laughs> yeah, I'll go to this Ghostbusters fellow here since he's nearest. I was I was just wondering uh, what some of your favourite classic adventure games were and how you feel some, more, some of the more recent commercial and AGS releases and your own games compare to these classics. I think the, I've been get, getting kind of um, disillusioned with adventure games, actually, in recent years. That's why, I, that's why my last game wasn't really an adventure game. My last two games, I should say, really. But... Um, I think the only company that really did 
Avengers game as well was LucasArts. Everything else was just like the Sierra games. They were always pulling such stupid bullshit, like um, forgetting an item 20 rooms ago you can't go back to, and oh, now you can't continue. Whoops. Hope you saved. It's, it's, very, it's very much antagonizing the player, and, and especially with Sierra when they used to kill off the player at every step. LucasArts had a great philosophy of um, never killing the player, never being in a position where you could never get out of. Well, that was in their younger days. <laughs> Maniac Mansion as well, and Indiana Jones and Last Crusade. But, but they're really good games, Grim Fandango, Day of the Tentacle, Monkey Island, all that went with that philosophy, uh, which was a good way to go. But in recent years, I'm wondering if those games weren't good in spite of adventure gameplay rather than because of. Because I, I've been at a loss to explain how it's fun. Carrying around a huge bag of items using them on everything that you find it's not really rewarding logic it's just rewarding the same logic as the game designer had obviously a lot of the appeal came from the writing and, and the characters which well, is, yeah. is lacking in I a lot of today's games i think it was the most story-based genre mm. of 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 any, of any genre i think adventure games these days tend more towards the, the uh, dumbed down um, talking about adventure games these days, you get stuff like Zack and Wiki, like uh, Lego Indiana Jones, where it's it's less about um, the story and it's more about just uh, carrying around a selection of tools and um, always the same tools and uh, getting past the same obstacles. And it's the the ultimate conundrum of the games designer, you know, how much interactivity you give the player because it, as mm. soon as you give interactivity, you you compromise the story. Yeah, it's, it's always about finding that balance. I've always felt the best games are the one that uh, combine gameplay and story effectively. Other question? <laughs> She's been waiting a long time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Who's been waiting a long time? How much of your public persona is a character versus, like, do you wear the hat to the pub? <laughs> I only wear my hat when I'm not in my house. So yes, I wear my hat all the time. I find that my yeah, when I was younger, I had a lot of problems with social anxiety and I really didn't like myself. And I think I created an internet persona that was more like the person I wanted to be. And as the years have gone by and I've found myself, as I, I went, after I came to Australia and uh, found myself reflecting an internet persona, I, I found my real character starting to turn into that persona. So as I was wearing the hat around, I'm starting getting a bit more confident, a bit more, um, I was going to say witty, <laughs> but um, I'll save that for your judgment. Michael? Yes, it's weird. No. Okay. Oh, sorry, carry on. No, I was you done. Carry on. It's your I thing. was stalling, <laughs> carry on. <laughs> okay. Um, do you find your like popularity disturbing, or was there like a moment where you went, "I have a Wikipedia page, I've made it"? <laughs> it, it is very disturbing. <laughs> Finding the Wikipedia page was pretty disturbing. <laughs> Didn't you write it yourself? No. <laughs> I don't know who wrote it. Some weirdo. <laughs> yeah, who somehow know my middle name? I don't even remember where I put that. Yeah, I mentioned earlier fans uh, 
kind of scare me. <laughs> yes, apologize. <laughs> Another question? Uh, who's been waiting the longest? That guy, because he waved his hand. I don't know if he's lying or not. Thanks. Uh, you've talked a bit about your writing and um, things you're interested in games. I was just interested in your visual background. So obviously, zero punctuation has, is getting increasingly complicated in terms of the visuals. Oh, yeah. So what kind of, um, do you have any background in, in visual arts? What a surprise to learn, I have absolutely no university education. I, I haven't, um, and pretty much everything from high school I've forgotten. Everything I, I learned about visual arts, I guess I learned in the process of developing adventure games, because I did all the art for that myself. And I find that working on, I've, I've, I've lost count of how many walking animations I've had, I've had to draw. And I think doing that has given me a, a better instinct for how uh, limbs should be arranged, you know? In like a, better, a better appreciation for aesthetics, I guess I should say. That's my background in visual arts. <laughs> I also have eyes, which I use to see things. I find that helps. Another one? Uh, don't make me choose. <laughs> How about this gentleman in the middle here? He's got a mic first. Oh, okay. Hey, um, you talked before a little bit about publishers and developer relationships and the digital distribution systems and kind of think about how expensive games are getting to make now. Do you think you'll get more of a trend going towards indie development versus the big AAA titles that are constantly coming out now? Mm -hmm. So you're asking if there'd be a greater turn towards the smaller sort of things? Yeah. I think Portal illustrates that the smaller sort of things uh, can do amazingly well. I think a lot of people are gonna pick up on that. Because this was, because I attended um, Eric Walpore, who was like the lead designer on uh, Portal or the lead writer. It's hard to clarify. It's hard to classify with Valve. No, no one has a defined job in Valve. They have a weird way of doing it. Like everyone does, can do a couple of things. But um, I saw, I caught his talk at GDC, and he's and he's uh, said that because Portal had such um, such a small budget and such a small team, it it caused them to think more in with with more initiative. You know, to think of ways to use their resources which resulted, I think, in a stronger, tighter experience. So I think small-scale games are, are, are a positive step. <coughs> Just a question if uh, publishers believe, really believe, that, that that's where the money lies. Because it's, it's hard to, I guess it's, it'd be hard from a publisher's standpoint to believe that um, sinking millions upon millions into a project would not also produce millions and millions back. Because I guess the feel is the more money you put into something, the greater quality it will logically have. Well, and also, but also the more conservative the product gets. Because I mean, you got to, you know, we we understand that that these companies are publicly listed companies that are responsible not to us but to their shareholders. Mm. So when they're investing, you know, a hundred million dollars in a project, um, they can't take risks. Mm. Um, so you know, hopefully. You know, I think increasingly you, you will see the most innovation happen at the fringes of the industry where people got less to lose. Do you think, um, like, I mean, would publishers That's probably what they're afraid of, yeah. So did everyone hear that? <laughs> yeah, okay. 
Um, th there'll always be a market for the big budget blockbuster, though. I mean, that's mm. that's always mm. going to be what excites you know the biggest audience, just like in Hollywood. Yeah, but people uh, respond well to hype. And and you know look, the portal ex example is interesting because you know they, they were students. You know, well, uh, they, well got they started off students, and then yeah. they were like absorbed by Valve. But yeah, mm. it was like it was just going to be a tiny little experimental game. They were going to pack in with the orange box so people wouldn't get too narky about the fact that they had to wait so long for episode two. And somehow it became game of the year. <laughs> but uh, hopefully, you know, the, the digital distribution systems, even on the consoles, like, uh, you know, the WiiWare system, you know, will yeah, allow those kind of games to, to come through. I think we'll get a system of digital distribution on consoles where you can buy and get a full game, rather than what it is at the moment where you just get scrappy bits of gameplay. If they can look at that out properly, that would definitely be a positive step. Mm -hmm. Well, I, you know, I think Lost Winds is probably one of the best Wii games released this year, <laughs> and it, you know, costs fifteen bucks on WiiWare, so it's already starting to happen. Mm. Who had the mic? Uh, yeah, I guess it's. Uh, hey, we just have uh, two more questions. Guys. Two more. Okay. Who? Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask about Fantasy World Dizzy because, um, <laughs> uh, which has appeared a couple of times. I went to Wikipedia and looked that game up. It's about a paragraph and a half, and one of the few things it says is that you praised as being the greatest <laughs> game in the world, but it wasn't sure whether you were being sarcastic. Were you? Half and half. Uh, Fantasy World Dizzy was the, was the first game I ever owned as a child. Uh, I'm fully, very much aware that uh, my nost the nostalgia factor is probably padding it a bit in my eyes. But in retrospect, it was a fun game. It was colourful. It had a great exploration aspect that worked really well. I'm not sure it's the sort of thing you'd go for these days. Okay. We found the weirdos. <laughs> One more question? You want to pick one? I'm sick of picking. <laughs> Don't look at me. <laughs> we'll make him work. We'll go right. Ask your question, mullethead. Okay. <laughs> While I agree with you the points of the story, it got me thinking. When we think of games which people hold up as being sort of great innovation titles about story and all that, like some of the games like the Baldur's Gate series and other Black Isle games with the Infinity Engine, or the LucasArts adventure games and so on. It just sort of made me think, even in those games, it's a linear progression between points. Admittedly, there's more illusion of freedom in the story and the gameplay, but in the end, you've still got to get to the same preset points and do the same things, although some of the games allow you a little variety. So what is it that you think that makes um, a game that interacts with you well and gives you a good story, but isn't too linear and ramshotting you in the same path? I think the best example of that is uh, the Half-Life series. Because um, that's a series that's very low on story. You never cut away from the gameplay. You're always in control. And most of the story in those games is in the background. And that's, 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 that's what I like. I like a gameplay and story that combines to the point where you can absorb as much or as little story as you like. When um, you have to infer things without being bold-facedly told them. And that's what I've always disliked about JRPGs and the Japanese visual novel sort of game, that just skip text, skip text, skip text, skip text, without really... It's not really context for the gameplay. It's more just um, telling us a little story in between the fights. 
Or none at all, if you got them. Are you offering? <laughs> okay. I guess we're wrapping up. We are. Thanks for coming, guys. Yeah. Nice to see your shiny faces. <laughs>